and allow those coaches to have an opinion. And then ultimately, you know, you have to be the person that makes the decision, but um, it's good to hear other viewpoints that just surround yourself with people that will, you know, give different input and maybe have different thoughts than you. And, and then, you know, ultimately you can make that decision, but a lot of times they're bringing up something that you're not seeing. To be real honest, I didn't want to come to baseball practice sometimes. I didn't want to do anything extra. It's amazing the support you can get when you just open up. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. And as we get episode 41 rolling here, I wanted to take a few moments to just really say thank you to everyone who's tuned in so far. Whether you're a first-timer right now, in which case, hello, or a long-timer, I need you to know that this has become so much more than I intended. Uh, Back in September 2020, I was just looking to fill a really tiny void in my own life. Um, I listened to a ton of baseball podcasts, and I always found myself itching for more high school-specific content. Don't get me wrong, the podcasts are awesome. I still listen to them all the time, but often they'd have college coaches on, and the, the worlds of college and high school are just so different for so many reasons. So honestly, I really started this club in a selfish effort to learn some things that I could take back to my own program. And from there, it's obviously grown to include sponsors, newsletters, and now Twitter chats. Uh, People are reaching out to me asking for advice. And as they're probably learning really quickly, I don't really have any advice. Uh, So through this network of coaches, I've been able to send them to the right people in order to find those answers that they're looking for. Um, So anyway, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being part of the High School Coaches Club. I'm super honored to have you here, and I hope you stay for a long while. But a huge thank you to our loyal sponsors. You already know by now, but just in case, I'm talking about Will Miner and the gang over at Netting Pros. If you're looking for a partner in designing facility improvement, they've got your back. If you're searching for an amazing organization that specializes in the fabrication and installation of custom netting, digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, benches, cubbies, and just about anything you can imagine, look no further. Obviously, baseball and softball are gargantuan markets for netting professionals, but they have plenty of customers in just about every sport you can imagine, including, but certainly not limited to, golf, track and field, soccer, lacrosse, football, volleyball, tennis, and I don't know, maybe even underwater basket weaving too, I'm sure. Like everything, they can help you. So go follow them on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or check out their website at nettingpros.com, and you'll see tons of their latest projects and products on display. When you do, you'll know right away that they are the answer you've been searching for. They're making facilities better all over America, providing high quality products and services to recreational, professional, and of course, high school facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums across the country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707 or by emailing info at nettingpros.com. Netting Pros, improving programs one facility at a time. Here in episode 41, we welcome on the head baseball coach at Clever High School. His name is Justin Snyder. We'll scratch the surface a little bit on some coaching nuggets, but the real reason he's on the show is to help provide some insight into a situation that we all, of course, hope never happens. Um, This is a really important conversation, and I can't thank Justin enough for the courage to share. You're going to take a lot away from it. So here we go. Let's dive in. It's episode 41 with Justin Snyder. All right, Justin, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate you reaching out. Um, I know you had uh, seen that I had I'd obviously talked to China McCartney a couple times. Then you mentioned um, some things that you, you and your team had gone through. And so just kind of a cool deal for you to reach out and uh, really excited to have you on today. 
Really excited to be here to talk about a subject that I think maybe gets neglected a little bit and how to handle and and go through some tough times. Yeah, no kidding. I think it's I think it's something that every coach at some point, if you coach long enough, you'll you'll probably go through it at some level or another. And so um excited to get into that with you, even though it's not like a it's not necessarily a fun, happy topic, but I figured we'd start somewhere a little bit more fun. Um you had mentioned to me off air that uh when you grew up, your grandparents had a baseball field in their backyard and apparently in their basement. Can you explain that to me a little bit more? Yeah, my grandparents, uh, I come from a very baseball-oriented family, like big time, and uh, it, baseball actually was tried to be banned from the dinner t- you know, table at, you know, when I was a kid and growing up, and that didn't work out real well. <laughs> my mom was the one that tried to do that, and it just, you know, it doesn't work out real well when you come from my family. But yeah, my grandparents, we, we grew up in Springfield, Missouri, and, um, and they have a their neighbor had a legitimate baseball field in his backyard and our little league teams practiced there. Um, my dad and my uncle practiced there. My brother did. Um, it unfortunately is not used as much or very often anymore. Also when I get on my grandparents' house, still go out and the backstop is still there. The, the old Coca-Cola scoreboard is still there, rusted and everything, but, um, just brings back great memories. And then, my grandparents actually put a wiffle ball field in their basement. And I mean, when I was a kid, if it was raining and you had some neighborhood kids that wanted to play wiffle ball, we would just go to my grandparents' house and we could play wiffle ball all day if we wanted to downstairs. And, and I mean, when I say it was a legitimate field, it was my grandparents' basement is a dream for a kid. And to be real honest, even as an adult, <laughs> no kidding. I was like, I would be happy to go play wiffle ball in the basement anywhere right now as an adult. Yeah, it's 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 great. And I mean, their basement is you got the wiffle ball field, you have a ping pong table, you have a pinball machine. I mean, it is a it, it's definitely a draw even for my kids now. When can we go to the basement? I'm not surprised at all. It's 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 cool because, you know, you, you talked off there, too, or, or in, a, in a note to me just about how many. People in your family have played baseball, not only, you know, obviously in high school or, or in college, but also professionally. And so just can you kind of give us a little bit more info on like where your different family members have gone on to play baseball? Because I think it helps paint the picture of <laughs> when you when you mentioned like trying to ban baseball from the dinner table. Like I think it helps paint that picture a little bit. Yeah, I, I've been very fortunate to grow up in a family that has had a lot of success in baseball, and it's you know definitely shaped my life significantly. Obviously, is you know diving into the coaching world and, and sticking around with baseball. But um, you know, just off the top of my head, my uncle uh, and cousin both played at Oklahoma, and then my cousin Keith Drumright played for the Oakland A's and Minnesota Twins. Um, uh, maybe he was, I know he was with the A's. It may have been the Astros after the A's. Um, and he was a second baseman. Then my uncle Kelly Snyder uh, was another Oklahoma grad that played for the Dodgers. And unfortunately for him, he was stuck behind Steve Garvey. Um, I've heard numerous <laughs> people tell me, uh, you know, if he wasn't stuck behind Garvey, he probably had a pretty successful and long career with the Dodgers. Um, you know, and, and I think he ended his career maybe with the Twins. Uh, but if you go to his house, it's just like a, he's got, I think they're called silver gloves in AAA, but he's got, 
multiple silver gloves in his, you know, baseball room and stuff like that. And I know that I think he still holds a college world series record for most putouts without an air. Um, hmm. But uh, you know, and then my, my cousin, Mike, he was a pitcher at Wichita state and he was drafted in, I think 10th pick in the first round um, by the tigers in 95. I actually remember playing a youth baseball game and my dad coming over to tell me that he was the 10th pick in the first round. And, you know, when you're, I think I was in like third or fourth grade, that's a big deal. You feel pretty excited, you know, and, and uh, especially to be a first round draft pick, that's, yeah, that's pretty special. And, um, you know, so it's just it, it, always being around when our family gets together. Uh, we had a family reunion. I remember maybe six, seven years ago and uh, the playoffs were on and, my uh cousin phil was at his church he's a pastor and and uh we showed up and you know what's on the big screen downstairs at their church basement uh baseball so you know naturally (laughs) gathered and and just told stories and and uh just been very fortunate you know to be around the game my uncle kelly's best friend is mike socia so that you know leads to some great stories the the funniest story that I can think of about all that is sitting at Thanksgiving one time and we had a question and we couldn't figure out the answer and and I remember him shooting off a text to Socia and I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen very many families that you have the ability to just fire (laughs) off a question to a major league manager um you know to get an answer and uh so you know I know I've been blessed and, and fortunate to to grow up in these situations and and to have the access to people that they have these opportunities. And my dad has been an associate scout with the Rockies and the Dodgers for about, he's with the Dodgers right now uh, for probably about 25 years. So I've just been very fortunate to grow up around, you know, the, the baseball world and understand the ins and outs of how that works. And, and uh, you know, if I needed the connections, there's, there, there's those connections that definitely help sometimes. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, that's really cool. It's a, such a cool uh, kind of family network of people that are involved with baseball. I, I didn't have that growing up. It's basically it's just basically me. Uh, nobody really in my family did, did or knew anything about baseball. And so it's it's cool to listen to. I, we had some buddies that had like wiffle ball fields in our yards and stuff, but certainly not, not a grandparent's yard in the basement. So that's pretty cool. Um, so why don't you take me back to your high school days? So obviously you played baseball, but uh, where'd you go to high school? What was your experience like? What sports did you play? All that sort of stuff. So in high school, as a freshman, I pl- I was a three sport guy. I played football, basketball, and baseball. Um, I was pretty small. I was very undersized in high school, and um, I was probably like five seven, one hundred and forty pounds, one hundred and forty five pounds. And no matter what I did, I just could not gain weight in high school. Yeah. Uh, I would not say I wasn't strong. I just couldn't gain weight. And that definitely was a, I was a late bloomer physically, I guess I'd say, um, you know, by the time I was a junior or senior, my focus was on baseball. I went to Springfield Hillcrest, which has a very rich tradition in baseball. We actually moved, I was born in Oklahoma in Tulsa and we actually moved back here. Um, I I think my parents would deny that it was to go to Hillcrest, but to be real honest at the time and, and, and the tradition that Hillcrest had in baseball, there was a lot of repeat families. Um, like you just, you moved back to play baseball at Hillcrest and I had a great high school coach. I, I'm not going to tell you that I was not, you know, a pain in his butt, but 
Um, I'm sure I was, <laughs> but yeah. uh, Byron Hagler, he's a Missouri sports hall of famer. He's won so many games and, and uh, as much, I, I think a lot of high school kids, maybe it's not that they don't like their coach. It's they don't like the preparation and the amount of maybe work sometimes that it takes to be successful. And, uh, and you know, the practice in six, seven days a week, four or five hour practices, it, it's just long. And, and at the time you don't appreciate it. And then you get out and you realize, wow, we were the most prepared baseball team, you know, at, at anything that we did, we were more prepared in high school than I, you know, was in college a lot of times for teams and our practices were hard. Um, you know, and we had a ton of success. So that was a, a very positive experience looking back on it now. And it definitely shapes how we run. I don't run four hour practices anymore, but um, <laughs> some of my kids in my early days would tell you that uh, that's a lie. Yes, we did. But um, <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't do that anymore. But I mean, I, I try to bring the same preparation that we had in high school and, and, and work ethic. And, and a lot of the things that we did, you know, are still relevant today. It's just, I, I tell people all the time, a lot of new concepts come into baseball, but in theory, it, everything's the same. It's just worded differently. And, um, and we, we really try to hit hard. My practices, if, if my high school coach came to our practice now, he'd probably laugh and say, this looks very familiar. So, <laughs> but no, I had a great experience in high school at Hillcrest. We won a lot of baseball games and had a ton of success. And, and of course that helps when you have really good pitching and, and good players around you. And as you know, uh, having good players definitely makes our life a lot easier as coaches. Yeah. And we were lucky and fortunate that we had a good group in front of me and a good group behind me. And then my group was pretty good. And, and uh, I want to say we had four seniors and all four of us went and played on in, in college. And I was a shortstop second baseman. Uh, when I moved on to college, I was a second baseman. Uh, and, uh, you know, being undersized, I really didn't physically develop till my freshman year. Then all of a sudden I developed muscles and gained about 35 pounds in a, in one off season and everything just kind of clicked. So, yeah, that can help. <laughs> Obviously you, you end up coaching, um, you know, when you were back in high school, is that something that you ever thought you'd end up doing? It, I, I've always wanted to either teach and coach or be a lawyer. And, huh. and I really, really thought the law Avenue was where I wanted to go. And, um, probably until I coached my, I guess it would have been after my sophomore year of college is when I got my first coaching job that really helped me decide, you know, to move toward the, towards the education and coaching world. Um, up until that time, I was a political science major slash, you know, history education. That way I could use, you know, whatever avenue that I wanted to when I graduated. And then once I had coached, I switched to uh, PE and used history as a minor. Um, there's still a part of me sometimes that wishes I'd have gone into law. I just enjoy, you know, learning about that and crime documentaries. And my one of my best friends is a former cop. And one of the things I told him one time was, I would have liked to have been, you know, a, uh, an, an attorney. And he, he's like, uh, what kind? And I was like, the kind you wouldn't like, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, I joke all the time that, you know, maybe when I retire, I'll go back and, and do that. But then 
I just got my specialist degree and I'm going to be paying on that for the rest of my teaching career. So (laughs) I probably am done with my education world, but no, it was lawyer, teacher and coach. And and I made that decision after coaching uh, after my sophomore year. And, and I am glad that, you know, that's the avenue that I picked. Kindred spirits. I kind of a similar path for me. Um, I, I majored in history and along the way I got, um, I don't want to say serious about it, but I, the, the pull of possibly going into law was pretty strong. I remember my academic advisor at the time and I was telling her kind of what my plans were for life. I wanted to be a teacher and a coach, you know, a baseball coach. She's like, <laughs> almost like a surprise of like, you, like, you don't want to go be a lawyer. Like you, you want to just teach. I'm like, yeah, man, that's what I want to do. But uh, yeah, same thing. I, and I still miss it. Same thing. I listened to a lot of crime stuff or watched a lot of crime shows. I, uh, I love learning about injustices and things like that. And, and um, yeah, kindred spirits. I, I can see that for sure. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously you've, you had a few different coaching stops, um, but let's just, we'll just focus in on, on clever. You've been there for, you know, 10 years or so. Um, so clever high school, can you, for those of us like me who know nothing other than the fact that it, the, the state that it's in, I, I know nothing. So um, where is it? What's it like? What's the community like? Why do you love it so much? Why is that a place that you've been been for about a decade or so? Clever is located. It's a small community of about 2,000 people. Um, our high school has right around 380 kids. It is located about 15 minutes southwest of Springfield, Missouri. Um, and if you don't know where Springfield at or is at, uh, it's in the southwest corner of Missouri. It's <laughs> For some reason, people know where Branson is, but they don't know where Springfield is. And Branson's about <laughs> yeah. a quarter of the size of Springfield. So um, it's right in that, that area of southwest Missouri. Um, the home of Bass Pro for people that like to fish and hunt is, is Springfield. So that's that's the one thing that you can always say where most people are like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay, you know, Bass Pro. And uh, so we're about 15 minutes away from Springfield. It's a great community. Uh, it's a growing community. Um, I have been here for 10 years. Uh, I, I teach high school PE. And uh, it's just a really, really good and sport-oriented community. We have had a ton of change here. Um, when I first interviewed for the job, there was 230 kids in the high school. And 10 years before that, there was only 140 kids in the high school. Hmm. So the community is growing at a very steady rate. And us being just outside of Springfield, it's a great community to live in. Um, Amazon just put a giant plant in the city that I live in, which is Republic, which is five minutes outside of Clever. And I'm sure that's going to help, you know, continue to build – you know, new people and new students in our community and, and, you know, hopefully some baseball players involved in that as well. But, um, no, I've been here for 10 years, been very fortunate. I walked into a gold mine situation where, um, they, they had, I had heard this job was coming open and I was at Stratford and a friend of mine that teaches at a school about, you know, 10 minutes from clever had told me his nephew was on the team and he, he's a coach and, He's like, hey, Justin, he goes, that job's coming open. The coach is going to retire. And and I think it would be a great position and a great place for you um, if you wanted to try. And and he was, you know, very beneficial and, and helpful in helping me, uh, you know, I think land this job. And, and they – I actually had a coach because they had had some really rough times. They had gone like 0-36 – 
three years before I got here. And then they had won like six or seven games. And then they had won, I want to say like 18 and went to the final four the year before I got here. And okay. uh, they did it with a group of almost all sophomores. So I got here and they were juniors. A lot of expectations, you know, when you roll in off a group that's you return eight starters and and um, coming off the final four and a third place finish in state and you have your entire pitching staff back and, uh, you know, I'm here. We're at the first day of practice and this kid sitting over on the side uh, on the in the bleachers and he looks really athletic. And I asked one of our kids who that is. And they were like, oh, that kid lives in Texas. He used to go here, though. And then after practice is over, the kid comes up to me and says, I think I want to transfer back. And he was a starter at a class, I think, six or seven school in Texas. So, you know, we got him eligible and made a huge run the first year. I think we finished like we have fall. We at that time we had fall baseball, which was a huge draw, you know, to clever because you get August to October. 25, 30 games plus practices uh, because we didn't have football. So it's a huge draw and advantage. Um, you know, leading into the spring and, uh, and we, uh, I think finished 44 and nine that year and got back to the final four. And, um, the team that won the state championship, their coach is a friend of mine. And he just jokingly said, he goes, you guys were the best team. I just happened to have the best pitcher and we got beat (laughs) five to three in the first round. And, um, uh, and he was right. I, I feel, you know, to this day that we had the best team there. It's just they had the best pitcher, and we had to face him in the semifinal game. And, and I mean, he was really, really good. He went on to play and pitch Division One baseball, and, um, you know, we just couldn't get it done. And then, you know, we still returned, I think, seven starters my second year. And uh, we went 18-0 and the fall of my second year, which was great. But at the same time, then we struggled – that spring a little, I say 20 and seven is struggling. It's not, you know, if that's struggling, I guess that's good, but um, we just couldn't gel and couldn't mesh for some reason, like just couldn't find a consistency that we had found in the fall. And, you know, that, that group graduated and I've just been blessed for 10 years to have really, really good players. And we've had a ton of success here and, and, you know, had the final four and had several, district championship and conference championships uh here and had some playoff experiences and um just been very blessed with the commitment of the community the commitment of the school the commitment of the kids to do the things that are necessary to you know have that success what a gift from the retiring i just hear so many you know stories of coaches that will retire essentially when their best group of players kind of finishes their senior year. And so then the new person coming in comes in, you know, on paper, they might look and be like, wow, the team went, you know, like 25 and two and you know, they're they really good. So I'm coming to this great spot. And then you take over as head coach and you're like, well, the cabinet's bare. There's, there's no talent here. And so what a, what a gift to be able to come into a program where um, I don't know, just on paper, a coach wouldn't normally leave it retire you know retire when you have obviously coming off kids at a great sophomore year and you obviously have some places that you can go and, and get higher at which which is really cool to leave the cabinet full when you when you do end up walking away from the game for whoever takes over behind you it's it definitely spoiled me i coached the the year before i the summer before i came here i was coaching with 
one of the top travel organizations in in the area here and i had a team that was just ridiculously good and i mean we would put up i it was a group of 16 year old kids i had four arms that were 90 plus we had we'd put up you know 10 to 11 runs a game just i mean i think of our 14 guys on the roster like nine of them played division one and like five or six ended up playing professionally it was nuts how good we were and then i got here and and i was like you know okay you know i'd seen that all summer i was like maybe we're not as good as i thought then we get to the first game and i'm like holy crap we're really good (laughs) (laughs) and uh and we can swing it and we've got you know for a small school i had several guys throwing 85 to 90 and and several more that threw 80 to 85 and played great defense and we just we were i i like i said i walked into a gold mine here and for for two the first two years i was spoiled with you know just great great players that they were the kids practice would be over and and they'd want more reps and uh i had told my wife at the time because i'd actually been a head coach six years before and i failed i mean i was not a good head coach at my first head coaching job for baseball and uh, and i told her that you know this is going to be different i know you know i've sat back for four years as an assistant I know what I want. I, I know what I'm going to do differently. I, I, you know, know I have a plan and, and it's going to take time and, and commitment and man, I've just been blessed to be allowed to do that and, and go through and follow through with that. And I feel like it's worked out really well. Yeah, it looks like it. You guys have, have obviously the pedigree over the last 10 years have, have had a lot of success on the baseball field. Um, also, part of your story, too, is volleyball. So I want to make sure that I just kind of jab a quick volleyball question in and ask, you know, kind of how did you get involved in volleyball and kind of what are the, some of the, the takeaways that you've, you've gotten from being, being so involved in volleyball for so long? Volleyball is a funny story. For me to get my first head coaching job, they told me I had to do volleyball and be the head volleyball coach at the varsity level. <laughs> I, I okay. just looked at him and I was like, um, I've never had anything to do with volleyball. I don't know anything about volleyball. And he goes, oh, they're three and 18 last year. It'll be okay. You'll figure it out. And <laughs> okay. somehow, I, I, they allowed me to hire a friend of mine from college who came in and helped me a lot. And, and we finished, oh, I don't even remember what our record, we got to the district championship. We were winning enough that I was getting free coffee and free donuts from the gas station in the town I was in. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't, it wasn't me. I can tell you that, but I just remember sitting there about 10 games in and I looked over at my assistant. I was like, I get it. Everything clicks. And it took me about three weeks to figure everything out. Um, and that was the only year I'd coached volleyball. Cause I moved on to a different school and actually was doing, you know, J- JV basketball. And I was doing softball, which is, you know, very similar. A lot of baseball coaches do softball and, and um, had not, had anything to do with volleyball and we lost fall baseball here because we added football and I took one fall off. And then they, our AD at the time came to me and he was like, Hey, uh, we have a junior high volleyball opening and you were a varsity volleyball coach. And I just laughed because I was like, yeah, let me tell you that story. <laughs> and um, and uh, he's like, well, you were successful. I was like, I was successful just because I had good players. And, you know, I think if you're a coach, you can coach anything if you are a coach um but you have to have the players that understand it and i have never denied this that you know i I know the game of volleyball now but when i started i didn't 
And uh, now having two daughters that play, you know, I definitely know it. And I finally committed to doing the junior high volleyball thing and I love it. And I'm going to, volleyball is a big deal here in clever on the girls side. So that kind of gives me a great situation every year. Um, we always have kids that have played and it's not like starting over or starting with ki- a lot of kids that haven't played. So we're always, you know, a little bit ahead of a lot of the schools that we play and we've got kids that play club volleyball and, and it's a big deal in our community. And it's been a great thing for me. We've had a lot of success and, um, again, it's not me. It's the fact that we've got great players. Um, you know, we just kind of put as coaches, we just put kids in the situation and, and, and put the pieces together, I guess, as you know, it's the same way in baseball, our job is to put the pieces together and hope it works and figure out if it doesn't work, you know, what happens and why and find the pieces that do. Yeah. And, and it's a good Testament too, of like, we always talk about how, at least uh, in a lot of conversations I've had about how if you, when you're looking for assistant coaches, you know, if you can find good people who care about kids and are willing to learn, um, they don't necessarily have to come in with a lot of knowledge because they can, they can learn along the way. And like, what a testament of like, <laughs> you don't you know nothing about volleyball. Okay. I guess I'm the head coach. Here we go. Yeah. And I mean, the girls knew, I mean, it, it was a, it was not a secret, you know, they knew when I was walking in that I, it was very obvious. I promise that I didn't know a lot about volleyball and they were awesome to me and helped me out. And ironically, uh, one of them actually lives in the community now that I teach in and, uh, has daughters like a year younger than my youngest. And she came by volleyball open gym the other day and we just sat and talked for like an hour and a half. And it was, you know, a great conversation and laughed about, you know, 15 years ago and how I was like a blind little puppy walking in and had no idea, but you know, you're right about the coaches surround yourself with coaches that will challenge you too. don't surround yourself with yes people, you know, and uh, the best coaching staffs I've had in any sport that I've ever been around, you know, challenge the status quo. And if they didn't, you know, threw ideas out and weren't scared to throw ideas out. And I'm a huge believer in surrounding yourself with the best coaches. And that doesn't always mean yes people. I think when you surround yourself with people that just support you all the time and never question anything, then, you know, maybe sometimes you're not, when we've won, I've had coaches that will, you know, ultimately as a head coach, you make the decision, but um, surround yourself with people that, and allow those coaches to have an opinion. And, and then ultimately, you know, you have to be the person that makes the decision, but um, it's good to hear other viewpoints. And I think that's an important thing in the coaching world as well that just surround yourself with people that will, you know, give different input and maybe have different thoughts than you. And, and, uh, and then, you know, ultimately you can make that decision, but a lot of times, you know, they're bringing up something that you're not seeing. So I think that's important, you know, as a coach to try your best to surround yourself with people that don't just say yes all the time. I think it's super important. I was, I was blessed with that when I took over at, at South Salem as the head baseball coach, they had a coach who'd been here for a long time, I think I'm, I was his third different head coach that he had coached for. Uh, he's kind of like the pitching coach, but he was basically like having another head coach. And um, it was really good for me because I, when I came into that position, I thought, as m- many of us do in our first head coaching job, that we <laughs> we have all the answers and our way is going to work. And whatever coach was coaching before, his way was probably fine. But this way that we're going to do it is going to be, this is really going to 
be what makes it happen. And um, he was really good to have because he opened my eyes to some things that I hadn't thought of before and um, wasn't a yes guy. And it was really good about sharing opinions and we were super respectful to each other and we were able to do some pretty special things. And um, yeah, having, having people like that around is, is really important and, and good coaches will be good coaches regardless of sport. And I think you're a good example of that, obviously getting into the, the volleyball realm. Um, yeah. So I, I, I could, I would love to sit and talk baseball with you and, uh, and, and coaching, but um, you know, obviously we're going to dive into something that of course involves both of those things. But I think um, ultimately this is something that, like I mentioned at the start, regardless of, of how long you coach, eventually um, you'll probably experience something like this when you're around, um, you know, when you're around high school kids for as long as we're all around them uh, year after year, eventually there'll, there'll be something that happens. That's not, um, that's not real fun to go through. And so, um, you know, we connected kind of through a, a mutual friend, China McCartney, who's been on the show a couple of times. Um, you actually did kind of a guest feature uh, on his uh, Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression Foundation website. Uh, I've read a little bit about your story and everything. Um, and so I guess I, I, I don't know exactly where we should start, but I think probably just going back to, you know, 2019, you, you were a good baseball team. You had obviously won the district championship. And so things were looking pretty good heading into 2020 in the off season, obviously 2020 happened and everything, but um, can you kind of take us from that point. So, you know, 2019 season, things look really good, healthy and, and um, look like they're rising pretty well at clever. Yeah, we, we had won the class that just graduated was a very talked about class from the time they were very young, just because there were so many of them and, and how talented they were. And we started, I want to say, five or six sophomores at any point in time uh, in 2019. And to be real honest, we were probably a year ahead of what I expected in winning the district championship. And, um, you know, we lost a one nothing game in the state playoffs. That was just a great baseball game. And that's tough to say when you lose one to nothing, but you go back on it and you look and there's not really anything you can do. So the expectations coming into 2020 were really high before COVID shut down our season. We actually got our jamboree in. And I just remember leaving the jamboree and I said, this is the best team that we've had. I told one of my assistants, Mm. this is the best team we've had since 2013. Like it's not even close. Like this, this group hits, they can pitch it. Um, They play great defense. Uh, we just had everything. We had great team speed, um, and they were almost all juniors. So, you know, I'm sitting there licking my chops thinking this is a playoff Final Four type team, and then COVID hits, and it crushes us. Um, you know, and we got to play last summer, you know, at, during the COVID year. We, we got a little bit of a late start, but we got in and got to play and and had a decent summer and had a great off season coming into this year. And, um, you know, there were some personnel changes that took place. One of our main and best players transferred out to another school that bordered us. And um, Sean, the student who passed away, um, was dealing with some of his own demons and some of his own battles. And, and we had to part ways with him a little bit. And I think that's a misconception that, you know, maybe some people had is that he was on our team at the time that, you know, he passed away and, and he wasn't, and it doesn't, 
less the less in the value. You know, he was such an important part of that group in 2019. You know, I, I think because I had to excuse him from the team last summer, people thought that our relationship was bad where it couldn't have been anything further from that. There was times where he was, you know, frustrated with me, but it was usually because I was harping on him because of grades or, or, you know, poking fun at maybe him coming back to playing baseball. The, the thing that was, you know, frustrating from a coach's standpoint is he was so good at baseball. And, um, you know, so he was not with us. What a lot of people probably don't realize was that one of my assistant coaches – he worked for and worked for that guy's family. And, you know, we, we had had some discussions and talks about him coming back mid season and, and starting to practice. And, and maybe if we shorten the season for him, that it would be easier and better and not a full season. And to be real honest, I didn't mention baseball with him. When we talked, it was grades and life and, you know, I was able and feel very fortunate that I got to talk to him the day that he passed away. Um, he had he was an at home kid. We allowed our kids to do virtual or in school, and and he had you know slacked off a little bit. And I called him called him just to check up on him and make sure he was okay. And I'm you know you don't think that a conversation like that will be the last conversation that you have with somebody. Um, you know, just you don't ever think that. And I'm so glad that I was able to have that conversation because the conversation ended like most of our conversations did with, um, you know, I love you, Sean. Stop being an idiot and just do your work. And he laughed and said, love you too, coach. I'll get it done this weekend. And that's how our conversation ended. And unfortunately, that's the last conversation, you know, that I ever had with Sean. Um, and then, you know, that day, that was a Friday. I'll never forget it. Um, probably the worst day of practice and as a coach you can ever have to have that conversation of somebody coming down and telling you that a player has passed away. Yeah, that would be extremely difficult and something obviously we'd, we'd hope nobody ever has to go through. But um, at the same time, we know that for some people listening and for some people before that that call is coming or that call has happened or maybe not call, but the, um, you know, someone coming down to talk to you about it. Um, and so as a, as a coach, then obviously when, when something like that happens, it's probably, I imagine, I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything like that, but I, I can imagine it being a really bizarre feeling because not only are you then as a human being, obviously going through something very tragic that you've just been told, but you're also still in charge of a group of young men who um, are you know, especially at the time, they're literally in your care at practice. Um, they're still part of your your group. And at the same time, they, of course, all know Sean and knew Sean. And so just as a, as a coach in that position, what was that like? So let me start with the practice that night. I'll just kind of go through kind of what happened. Um, we're at the end of practice. We're finishing up BP and a parent of one of my players that never comes to practice. I saw him and a guy I didn't know coming down the hill um, to the field and thought that was a little bit odd. And then my assistant coach, you know, hollered at me and said that he needed to talk to me, which at that point in time, you know, you, you kind of have a gut instinct that something's not right. And, and he's a pastor on Sundays. And so I'm really 
you know, turning and churning in my stomach at this point in time. I walk over and he tells me, and it's just a numb feeling. Um, we have a small coach's office underneath our press, press box, just a locker room area. And I held it together till I got inside the locker room. And then I think I did what any normal person would do. You just cry. Um, there's not really an expectation or a real way how you handle that. And then, you know, I let my emotions go for a few minutes and then I had to compose myself. I text one of our coaches that I knew would see the message on his watch and he released the players. I walked by a few players and they knew something was wrong, but I was told, you know, by my administration that it's not been confirmed yet. Don't tell the kids. Um, that was hard. You know, one of the things that I realized through this whole process is we have to be careful when this stuff happens. There is school policy and board policy that that is usually written. It's just we don't know it because, um, you know, you hope that you never have to deal with it. And and there's so much about that aspect that my eyes were open to when all this happened. Um, you know, obviously, I called our principal at the high school and he asked what I thought we should do. And I said, well, we've got a baseball parent meeting in 30 minutes. And I go, I'm going to be in the gym. When I was in high school, we had four people pass away. And one of the best things that we did was opened up the gym to allow people to come gather and, and offered, you know, hugs, support, let them cry together. You don't want them to be alone, you know, during a, a, t a time like this and offer the counseling that, you know, kids might need. And he was a little hesitant at the time. And, and I said, I promise you that this is what this will work. And, you know, it was, and he agreed to it. So we opened up the gym. Once it got out, I sent a text or, or in our messaging app to the kids that the gym would be open as long as they needed. Um, so kids started filing in and to be real honest, it was the most uncomfortable. The first 15 to 20 minutes was just uncomfortable hugs of, you know, emotions. And I had, I graduated eight seniors and all eight of those kids, you know, or yeah, all eight of them had grown up with Sean since, you know, they were in kindergarten. So it, it was just hard to watch kids just stare at the floor and not know how to act. And, and, you know, as men were, you know, still told the stereotype of, you know, you don't cry and, and all this. And, and I, you know, it was just impossibly hard to watch the look on kids' faces of shock, disbelief, and just how can you help them when there's really nothing you can do other than just be there for them. And, and that night, I'll never forget it. I was there until, you know, we opened the gym doors at about 7.30 or 8, and I didn't leave the gym until about 1.30 and was back there the next morning for kids that needed it at around eight, nine o'clock in the morning. And, um, you know, that was the start of the hardest few days that I've ever had as a coach. We canceled all team activities for that weekend. Um, and then that practice that following Monday was uncomfortable, hard, um, there, I don't really don't know how to describe it other than it was a very plain practice. Um, like it was hard to have expectations 
when you know what your kids are dealing with and and your whole focus you feel like shouldn't be on baseball it should be on them and uh, but we played that friday so we had to have a practice and it was just going through the motions i mean that's that's honestly what it was is we were just going through the motions um and it was just hard do you think looking back um that practicing even though it, it you know maybe wasn't a, a great like baseball practice like do you think that that was what the kids probably needed yes looking back on it and you know the, Sean's family was unbelievable what what makes that family so close to me was his dad Dwight was one of the first people I met when I got here at Clever he, he uh I joke with people all the time it's it's he has nine kids and and I've coached all four of his sons since I've been here. Um, you know, so their family has been so good to my family since I got here. Um, and they were unbelievably supportive of the kids and me. And it was so hard to watch because of the heartbreak you see in, in their eyes. And, and you can tell <clears throat> and Dwight, told me get these kids back on the baseball field that's what he would want you know that's what i want that's what our family wants the brothers came to me said the same thing i actually shane um who was i believe a six about a 17 2017 grad talked to the kids um you know before we had that practice on that monday and i don't you know i think it helped shane to talk to the kids i'm not sure it helped the kids other than they knew it was okay to come back to baseball because it did feel awkward and uncomfortable. Um, there's a lot of things I would have done differently. You, you know, you're not taught how to deal with that. Uh, one of the things that I look back on now was, and you know, you know, Scott McGee at Willard mm -hmm. and they had gone through something similar. I want to say the year before, maybe it was two years before where they had an assistant coach pass away in a hunting accident. And, I didn't even think about calling him and asking him, how did you guys, you know, navigate through that? Now they had more time because that happened in the fall and, you know, the spring season hadn't happened yet, but looking back on it, I probably should have called Scott, you know, being a friend and, and just asked for help on how do I help the kids? How do I help, you know, my coaching staff? How do I help the people that are around? Because, you know, there's no right or wrong way how to handle it. It's just learning how to balance helping the kids getting back to normal, which is an easier thing to say, you know, easier said than done. And, and, you know, I can talk about how unnormal the beginning of our season was compared to the end, you know, in a minute, but um, I, I do think it was important for us to get back on the baseball field and start trying to build back towards normal. That's and that's probably the the weirdest part too is you you know you're mentioning that you guys were you had a game coming up that Friday obviously um, you have the blessings of of obviously Sean's family to move forward and to get back to baseball and you I'm sure you know at the time like you talked about like you know it's it's probably the best thing for the kids to be able to do that but still obviously you're dealing with um, a huge loss and tragedy at the same time and so it's just this. I'm sure it's just this very awkward, strange experience for everybody involved. Um, so let's get into that. You, you know, you said that the beginning of the, that year, then obviously after this happened, was kind of strange. And then 
things kind of turned around at one point. So you can kind of get into that if you want. Yeah, we, you know, we, to be real honest and blunt, we stopped coaching the kids. We allowed things to go on that we allowed everyone to just go through the motions and, and, you know, and that I can say that's my fault, but at the same time, they don't teach you how to handle this. And, 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 you know, I don't wish this upon anyone to, to go through anything like this. And, uh, you know, we started out four and six on a team that was way better than four and six. And we had lost a couple tough games. We had a tough week. We had a practice or games on Monday and Tuesday. We, you know, two good teams, but I still feel like we should have won both games and we just didn't play well. And, I gave them Wednesday off and we had a coaches meeting before Thursday's practice. And I just remember telling the coaches, it's time to start coaching the kids again. We have to be hard on them, love them after practice, be hard on them during practice. And I told the kids before practice, things are going to change. We're better than four and six. We're going to coach you at practice again. We're going to love you after practice and give you the emotional support that you need to get through these times but it's going to change and things are going to change. And we were 20, 25 minutes into practice. My third baseman, my starting third baseman makes a lazy throw to first and airmails their first baseman. Our first baseman six, three. So it's hard to airmail him. And, um, <laughs> and, and I just, I, I was like, this is the time. And I remember thinking that at home plate, you know, after I'd hit the ball and after I'd seen it and I, you know, I don't want to say I lit up our third baseman, but I, I, you know, in a way did. And everyone kind of stopped and just looked at me. And from that point on, I felt like we didn't have a bad practice the rest of the year. It it refocused the kids. Okay. It is baseball while we're here. And we went on to, I want to say win 12 of our next 14 games, we actually had an 11 game win streak. I think at one point in time, we had a COVID issue that kind of ruined that streak where we're two hours away from getting ready to play you know, one of the best teams in the conference. And I get told my starting catcher and one other player are out because of COVID contact tracing. So we had to, you know, and that kind of ruined our streak. And then we got those guys back and picked right back up on that until the district championship game where we lost in a, you know, one nothing game. That was just a great high school baseball game between two really good teams. And unfortunately, you know, we just came out on the wrong side of that, but we played really good baseball you know, for the rest of that time. And, and that was, you know, I, I really think due to us and me realizing we have to coach these kids. Um, you know, I, I say all that to, to say that I was in a terrible place and, and I think it's important for coaches and, and us as adults to know that while, you know, our number one focus sometimes is to feel like we have to help the kids. I was a mess. And, and uh, and it was bad. Like I was in a really bad place. Um, anxiety, depression, uh, feeling guilty. Um, I I had friends. You know, I had two friends that I talked to. Um, a lot, and and I had people, including my family, telling me, "Hey, what's wrong with you? You just look like you've seen a ghost all the time." And one person said you know, you just look sad all the time. And I kept denying it and kept saying I was fine and, and, and all that. And in reality, I was driving down the road and I would just randomly start crying. I just, 
you know, overcome with waves of emotion. I lost, you know, 30 to 40 pounds at any point in time because I wasn't eating. And I think that I just remember a Sunday where it was seven o'clock at night and I hadn't ate yet because I was so sick to my stomach all day. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to eat. Um, even though I'm not hungry. And I think that, that along with, um, a friend of mine just calling me out and saying, you need to look into getting some help. Um, you know, and it was that point in time where I felt like, you know, I, I need to open up to my family and maybe more to my friends about, you know, this is where I'm at and what I'm struggling with. And, and, and as I told my therapist after our first meeting, I was a pretty normal person until March, the first week of March, I feel like. And, and then it just, you know, just hit me like a ton of bricks. And then you start to feel like things are getting better. And I did feel like that. And then the last week of April, one of my former volleyball players passed away and, from you know two years ago and she passed away this year and she was a freshman and it was like the wave of emotion comes right back and and the wave of guilt and and just not knowing what to do and and how to handle it and and I was just man I was a mess and and I think it's important for people to know it's okay to not be okay um you know as adults and as men we're told that we have to be the tough guys and that stereotype, I think, needs to be broken down to realize that, you know, mental health awareness is important. And, you know, once I opened up and and let people kind of in on what was going on, I mean, I didn't want to come to work. To be real honest, I didn't want to come to baseball practice sometimes. I didn't want to do anything extra. Um, and, and I'm known as somebody that does a lot extra. And, and I just had no motivation to do anything. And you know, you, you Google the checklist of depression and anxiety. And I'm like, holy cow, like I'm hitting about 95% on this, on everything. And, (laughs) and, you know, it's important to be there for our kids, but you have to realize that if you're not in a good place as an adult, it's okay to, to reach out and ask for help and, and go that Avenue. And there's no shame in that. And I just want to break that stereotype and help people break that stereotype. And, um, you know, I've given a couple presentations on leadership and grief, and that helps a lot, you know, talking to China and writing that um, story I did for his foundation was a huge, you know, load off my shoulders, I felt like in that I was able to get my story out and just kind of be open about it and and talk about it. And, you know, it, it's amazing the support you get when you open up and and ask for, you know, that help and, and just support that, that you get. And, you know, I remember having the uncomfortable conversation with my principal here at school. And I was like, I don't want you to think I'm a bad teacher because I don't want to be here. And, and I, I can't control that. And I, I, you know, feel bad about that. And he was so supportive of everything that, had happened and completely understood. And, and, you know, it it was, it's amazing the support you can get when you just open up. 
Yeah, and I think that's something that with, you know, obviously with China and a lot of the work he's done, and then obviously just as as coaches anyway, we get we get really, um, I don't want to say bogged down because that's not the right term, but um, really focused, especially nowadays, on making sure that our kids are in a good spot mentally. And I think that's really important, and a lot of the work that he's done and his foundation have done have focused on that. And I, and I love that you were able to do a feature for for his foundation, because I think the the logical next step that we aren't necessarily talking about out in the open quite as much is to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves too, right? Because if you're, you know, you're talking about being in charge of a baseball team and making sure that all those kids, and then not even just the baseball team, right? It's it's people in the community. It's your regular students who aren't necessarily part of the team. Like they're all part of this grief process too, and so we're so focused on making sure that all of these other people that were, uh, you know, that are in our care are okay. And I think that's really important. But I think at the same time, like you're talking about, like we have to make sure that we are okay too. And if we're not, we have to be okay with talking about it and getting it out. And like you said, the opportunity to talk about it, to write about it, like it just, it took a huge weight off your shoulders, um, telling your family about it, telling your friends about it. Um, I think it's something that it's, it's kind of the next stigma we have to get past because we're getting past the part about making sure kids are okay. Now, like the next logical one is making sure that we're okay too, because if ultimately, if you're not okay as a coach, as a person, it's going to be really hard for you to be in that position. Like you're talking about struggling to even come to work or to come to baseball. Um, and so if we're not all there, it's not going to be that great for the kids either. Yeah. And, you know, kids today are given such a bad rap on yeah, no kidding on just everything. And there's, I, I wrote about this, and I wrote about it before. It's amazing how they can recognize when something's not right with you and the support that they give you. Um, multiple times, I had kids just come up and pat me on the shoulder, and and I I remember you know we were in BP one time and I was struggling really bad that day, and my starting catcher just comes up to me. And pats me on the shoulder and says, I'm here for you, coach. I hadn't said a word. I, I didn't feel like I, you know, I didn't want to be there. And I think that was obvious. But, like, I was struggling that day. It was just a hard day. And I don't really know why. Um, and he obviously saw it, recognized it, and came up to me. And, you know, it lifted my spirits a little bit because, um, you know, the kids are given such a bad rap. And, man, that – Kids are good, and and for the most part, kids are really good people. And I, I think this brought – I will have a connection with this group of kids that graduated for the rest of my life. Oh, for sure. Whether it's through baseball or unfortunately through you know what took place and what happened. And in the same way goes with my volleyball girls that you know when this happened and I got to school the next day, I was met by my entire middle school volleyball team that were freshmen at that point in time now um, in the gym outside my office. And, and um, you know, the support and bond that I'll have with those kids will last a lifetime and, and was important, as important to me as, you know, me admitting that I was not in a good place and, and needed that help. Uh, one thing I did want to ask you, um, because like I talked about, of course, we don't want or hope anyone to ever go through this, but ultimately some people will. Um, it's just the reality of of life that sometimes tragedies will happen. 
Um, what did you do within the baseball program, um, whether it was like pregame ceremonies, Pat, I don't know. What did you guys do to try to honor Sean's legacy like during the season? That's a tough one because that kind of goes back to the school board and school policy. Um, our policy is very strict here on things that we could do. And I remember a conversation with my principal who said, I don't want to be the bad guy, but I'm going to be the bad guy with what I have to tell you. And, you know, he's just doing his job and, and we all have to adhere to our board policy and what it is. It was just frustrating because you see other schools when stuff like this happens are able to honor, you know, the kids that pass away. And we were really handicapped at things that we could do. We did helmet stickers. Um, and then on senior night, we honored the family. One of our janitors painted an unbelievable mural of Sean with, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. And she brought it to me and she's like, I would like to give or to give this and have the players, the, the seniors sign it and give it to the family. And I was like, senior night's coming up. It would be the perfect time to do that. So we brought that family out, you know, the Gilmore family out to home plate presented them with multiple things, um, including that picture. And that was, you know, an important and probably one of the most emotional times on the baseball field that I've ever seen from players and families and just the love and support that everyone gave them. Um, you know, that was probably the biggest thing that we were able to do for them. But I, I you have to know your board policy and you have to follow that policy. Um, you know, even if you disagree with it and, and I mean, our principal goes, I know you're going to disagree with a lot of this and, and I do, but it, ultimately it's not my decision and I have to follow those rules and the kids have to follow those rules as well. And, and it's frustrating sometimes and, but th it is what it is. And, you know, we were able to do the helmet stickers. We took his Jersey with us to the, you know, from the, in the playoffs on, um, just, I, I told the kids, I think Sean would want a front row seat to what he's about to watch. And, and it definitely, you know, uplifted the spirits and, and it was no secret. I mean, after we lost the district championship game, the, the guy at the local, you know, television station that writes the articles as well, you know, mentioned it and brought it up and, and we talked about it a little bit and, but, you know, we tried to honor him and playing hard and, and being hard nosed. Cause that's the way he played the game was hard nosed and fast and a little bit reckless sometimes, but um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just the way he was. And, and, you know, we were able to put the helmet stickers on and honor the Gilmore family and Sean at senior night. That's, that's really cool. And that's something that you don't really think about is, um, and obviously we don't really, like you mentioned at the beginning, you don't really want to think about it, but uh, board policy, like there's, there's, Probably for probably almost everyone listening, there's probably some sort of policy in your own school district or within your own school determining what what actions you can take when something like this happens. And that's I, I don't know. I don't even want to go try to find ours because I don't <laughs> like I, I don't want to. Yeah, that's, I hope that's nobody tough. has to go find it because it's yeah. and it varies so much from district to district. So. I mean, but it's important to know because you don't want to get yourself in trouble for, you know, something that you don't mean to do. And I was just fortunate that, you know, it's not what I wanted to hear at the time, but my principal is such a good guy and such a good administrator. And he was, you know, he was thinking of things that I at the time was not because 
you know, we're emotionally driven during that mm-hmm. time. And he, you know, it's his job to make sure that we follow the rules. Yeah. It's, it's there kind of like when we have assistant coaches who, um, maybe really want to do something. And then as the head coach, you're able to see the program from maybe a higher level and you kind of explain to them why we can or can't do something like that. Probably a really similar situation here where the principal ends up getting to be at a little bit higher view from it and providing that guidance and probably helping prevent you from doing something that would have gone against board policy and, and then put, put some people in some really awkward positions. Yeah. So, you know, as we're kind of moving forward um, and you're heading into next school year, um, I don't know what, what are your feelings as you're, as you're, what are your, as you're diving into the 2022 baseball season, um, next spring, um, what's going to be different? Are you changing anything? Are you, I don't know, like what are, what are you, what are your thoughts? The one thing that I feel like I've changed more than anything is to make sure the kids, students, players know that we love them and, and are there for them. And, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in success, 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 winning, winning, winning. That's got to be our main priority. And and to be real honest, this kind of has made me take a step back and and realize that, you know, there are more important things. And like we all want to be successful and we all want to win. But the kids have to know that we're there for them and they have to know that if they're struggling, they can talk to us and we can guide them in the right way. Um, I'm going to shift you know, and do more mental health discussions with my teams and just let them know that, hey, we're here to help you if you're struggling and that's okay. And it's okay, again, to not be okay. And and as an athlete, you know, we ride those waves of emotions sometimes more than the average person because you go through ups and downs. And, and I just think it's important that the kids know that we love them and, and that we're there for them. And, you know, we see them more than we see our own families a lot. So you, you can attest to that as a baseball coach. I definitely yeah. see my baseball kids more than I see my own family. So, um, you know, and the students and, and it's the same way. And I just want those kids to know and understand that we are here for you. And, um, you know, I just it, – it's impossible to say, and it sounds like a ignorant statement to say my goal in life is to make sure that this doesn't happen again and that we don't go through something like this. And, and I know that, you know, I've got 12 years left before I can retire and the chances of that happening, you know, may be slim, but I'm going to do my darndest to, to, to help these kids in any way that I have to, and, and know that they're loved and that we care for them. And, you know, and I, I think that, that that's just an important thing for kids today because they seem to be struggling more today than you know 10 15 years ago with knowing that they're cared for well justin i I really appreciate you coming on i know it took a lot of courage not that you of course chose this but i know it took a lot of courage to get through the season um i know it took a lot of courage to step up and admit to to friends and family that you needed help like i said before we you know and like you said not wishing this or and certainly hoping this never happens to anybody but it might. And hopefully just through this conversation, maybe it, it makes us a little bit more aware. Maybe, um, maybe it's, God forbid it does happen. It puts us in a position to, to just hear what one person did, not saying what you did was right or wrong. It just, like you said earlier, you, you're just thrusted in it and you have to make decisions and hope, 
hope they're the right ones for the, for the time that you're in. And so just, just a huge, huge thank you and, and not of appreciation to you. And I think we owe it to each other and to, to everyone listening to have you come back on next summer and let's, let's have a chance to sit down and, and talk, talk baseball, talk volleyball and get into hiring assistants and different strategies that you use and cool things you do for senior nights and team camaraderie and, maybe revisit things that you did mental health wise for players and stuff. But uh, let's, let's make that, let's make that promise right now to, to come back next summer and, and get to talk a little bit more uh, coaching side and, and um, leave this conversation for people to use as um, maybe not a guide, but certainly a, an opportunity to learn a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, there's no right or wrong way to handle this. And I think that's an important thing to understand and know that, it's a learning experience that I hope not very many people have to go through. Um, but you know, inevitably people are going to have to. And, and I hope this helps somebody to realize, you know, it's player coach, anyone that, you know, you got to take care of those kids and you got to take care of yourself as well. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Justin. Thank you so much. Thank you. Like I said, I seriously can't thank Justin enough for the courage it took to reach out to me and share that story to all of you. Um, I've included a couple of resources down in the show notes that might provide some more insights and possibly help you improve the mental health of not only your players, but yourself too. Thanks to Justin for sharing. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking that play button. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.